Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Say What You Mean. I'm Jeff. I am Jake. Let me check the latest uh, tabulation. I'm CJ. <laughs> he is still CJ. But hey, yeah, I'm gonna I'm I'm filing a lawsuit. Okay, because the votes we can't we got to stop counting the votes because right. the last time I checked, his name was actually Christopher. JC Christopher. That's his real name, mm. Christopher. Well, I'm here by claiming the sovereign state of CJ okay. as my identity. <laughs> oh, but it's I, Thursday. But there's all sorts of fraud going on with, yeah. with this. We can't trust. Is it, it Christopher? Is it CJ? Who are you? We may the never real know. The question is: Did I turn in a ballot for Christopher and a ballot for uh, CJ? Oh, did you die? And then you had somebody else vote for you. I told a, tr- a Trump supporter that uh, my birth name when I was born was uh, Jeffrey Scott O'Donnell, my mom's maiden name. And then it was changed to Jeffrey Scott Lopez. And so I told him I voted under both names. <laughs> you were such a troll. Oh, duh. <laughs> duh, dude. Uh. It's, just, it's just this conspiracy, just hypersensitivity to like the whole world's against us and Mm -hmm. i had three group chats going on election night yeah and one was the three of us yeah and one was between um my guy in florida and joe clemens from kxow the three of you yeah okay and then um the and then the gamers chat right and man the difference between the three was insane (laughs) (laughs) like Oh, <laughs> uh, it was interesting. Just reading um, the gamers chat was especially interesting because you've got a lot of. I think there's a lot of people with a lot of different variations of opinions, mm-hmm. but also a lot of varying, um, a lot of varying experience watching election returns. Right, and so you definitely saw that play out in the gamers chat, which I thought, I, I, to me, was a really interesting kind of. Just to sit back, because I didn't really comment much other than to tell Matt, like, hey, dude, stop complaining about Virginia not being, like, called yet. There's still a lot of vote to be counted. Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, and then Virginia ended up being 10 plus points for Biden. So, I mean, I don't know. Everything's early. It's a conspiracy, dude. It is a conspiracy. Anyways, it's Thursday. And what's the date today? The 4th? The 5th. Remember, remember the 5th of November. Yeah. Are we going to know today? I don't know. Who knows? Uh, I mean, here's the thing, right? Is that Fox and the AP both called Arizona. Mm-hmm. And Nevada is getting to the point where it's callable at this point, probably. Yeah. Um, for Biden. Yeah. If, you, if you're Fox and you call Nevada, you're calling the election. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And yeah. if you're the Associated Press, you're calling the election. So... I don't know. Like, what yeah. do you do? Yeah. What do you do? You're going to have some places calling Nevada, but haven't called Arizona. You're going to have some calling Arizona, both potentially. Yeah. I, man, I hate all of this. So, so Me just too. before. <laughs> I hate it. I'm over it. Go ahead. Let's, let's start with a positive though. Before okay. we go down this rabbit hole of what the last 48 hours have felt like and just. Hell. The, hell. <laughs> It's so emblematic of 2020 because it's like everything is longer than we expect yes. in this shared suffering. But I want to start with one of the, the themes coming into this election was around turnout. Yeah. And I don't want people to get lost in the shuffle the fact that by the counts that we're seeing, it looks like 67% of eligible voters turned out. Which Nationwide? Is, Yes, okay. which is an his, a historic turnout. Right. I believe uh, when President Obama was elected in 2008, 
we reached 56%, and mm. that was the highest number since 1908. Wow. So we had, for 100 years, we had not cracked 56%, mm-hmm. and we're going to likely go 10% above that. That's insane. That is awesome. Taft, Millions of people. Uh, Taft was real popular in 1908. <laughs> Nerd. <laughs> um <laughs> What was I going to say? I, I anyway, sorry. <laughs> do we need to do we need to like break that percentage down with percentage and uh, candidates BMI? There, yes, is there a there statistic you go. that we can get into a next level metric Maybe, there? Dude. Body body mass index? Yeah, for yeah. Taft, and then you look at Donald Trump, and then mm. what is that? How does that compare? Yeah, I mean, it's the crazy thing is, is that uh, Donald Trump has received the most votes for president than anybody in history, other than Joe Biden. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, to th- really Gross. think about it, like when you think uh, about it, when you put it that way. Yeah. So you, you want to talk about popular vote too? Yeah. Um, I saw that, and I thought it was really interesting because one of the themes that we had talked about in the last couple of weeks leading up was, mm-hmm. um, you know, the Lincoln Project had kind of had this mantra of if if we vote, he loses, right? And this idea that growing voter turnout was like a clear indicator that the country would rise up and repudiate Donald Trump. Um, so that historic number, we just talked about that also represents, I think I saw it was five or 5.5 million people who voted for Donald Trump beyond what he received in 2016. Right. So, I mean, the fact that we're sitting here today, not knowing who the next president is speaks to the fact that one of the themes that we got from this election is that we are every bit as divided a nation as we've probably ever been. Mm -hmm. We're very polarized um, we we may have felt like there were reasons in 2016 why people who um, wouldn't have voted for Donald Trump just chose not to vote or voted for a different candidate. But what we found out is that there were people of all walks of life that didn't vote in 2016 and were motivated to get out and vote in 2020. Yeah, exactly. Um, so one of my projects for my persuasion, it's my only project really for my persuasion for professionals course is I have to create a social media page and then post persuasive things on it. So what I've done is I've taken to the Republic and just created a Facebook page for it. And I'm just posting different episodes that I think are relevant. But the theme behind the, the page so far that I've created is um, apathetic voters and, con- and, and looking and getting people to, to shift from apathy to what would I say? What did I say? Apathy to activity I, can't, I came up mm-hmm. with some some mm-hmm. way of talking about switching in like um so i have two books coming from the library looking at like why people are apathetic during elections and i can't help but think that like whichever side doesn't win how interested i am in in apathy for the losers you have record numbers of people voting, but how are those people going to feel if their candidate doesn't win? Like people, obviously this is reflective of people who have like not voted ever or decided, you know, I am going to participate this time and then have their candidate lose and be like, you know what? Screw it. And then go back to apathy. I think there's a lot of psychological evidence that losing um, creates resentment. Mm-hmm. And I think that resentment fuels anger and anger yeah. is a primary leads like, to the dark side. Well, anger is driven by fear, right? Anger is a secondary. Fear leads to hate. <laughs> anger. I'm. Yeah. I, it's. 
I love I love and hate that quote because one, if you kind of go along that direction, it you seems like you're quoting started at like, all. Yeah, you, you're you're quoting Star Wars <laughs> and you're a nerd, right? But it is very true yeah. because emotion, emotionally, anger is a secondary emotion, right? And is driven primarily by fear. And nobody has driven fear in the American populace more than Donald Trump. Right. So I think his base is. I mean, depending on who runs, he could run again in twenty twenty four. Yeah. Theoretically, he'd be yeah. really old at that point. Right. I don't think he does, but he's going. He's going to. This party is his. Yeah. At this point, whether he wins the election or not, the party is his, and he'll continue to drive that fear. And to your point about apathy of losers, I don't think you're going to see a major drop off in apathy. If anything, they're going to be more motivated. You think so? I think so. Okay. Just one thing I was thinking about. Mm-hmm. Uh, another thought I had was so uh, there's this guy I work with, and he listens to the show now, so he's probably listening. But he told me that he voted third party. He lives in Washington, mm. and we were talking about that. And I, I had, was it Jorgensen or yes? Okay. So I had come home, and I was thinking about his vote. And thinking about the impact in Washington, and I was like, well, it doesn't really matter. And this goes back to the conversation, Jake, we had a few weeks ago about, like, oh, does my vote even matter because I live in a blue state, right? Mm -hmm. And we kind of explored that. So I was laying in bed thinking about... Toasty! Is his name. I I hope you're cool with me telling that everyone who you voted for. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I was thinking about... Him and I had a really interesting conversation, and I was thinking about it like that night. Like I was like, oh, I'm going to ask him this. So last night I asked him, I said, hey, let me ask you something. So we, we had a conversation about you feeling comfortable voting third party because that you vote for whoever you mm-hmm. want, right? Yeah. And th- there's very much that attitude of like, if I think that they're the better candidate, I'm going to vote for them. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, someone in the gamer chat, I'm pretty sure, voted for Jorgensen as well. So, And they live in Oregon. So I asked him, I said, hey. If you lived in a battleground state, would you have voted third party? And he was like, no, absolutely not. Really? I yeah. had this exact that's, thought process this morning. Mm, yeah, that's super illuminating. In, I'll be honest, in a previous election, I voted for a third party because I was like, Washington is going to go yeah. one way. And I don't really love the mm-hmm. candidate from the other party. And so I kind of did it as a statement of like, I, I'm rejecting both of these choices. Yes. But I had that exact thought. I was like, if I was in one of these battleground states where, like, and this is another, I'll come back to. Yeah. But if I was in one of those battleground states, I don't think I would do that. And and yeah. I would be trying to pick from the two. So that brings me to, to two things. Yeah. One, I saw a really good point that I shared with you guys this morning, but we're looking at several states that are still counting votes, and our mentality and our psychology is those states are going to decide who the president is. Right. But the reality is Washington is every bit as responsible for who the president is as Pennsylvania or Nevada or Arizona because it takes all the votes from all the states. Um, I lost my other thought, but it was a good one about, (laughs) oh, uh, we can get into all kinds of nuances. One of the cool things about the map and election night Mm -hmm. stuff, I had the same kind of questions and conversation with my 10 year old about, you know, who's winning. And then I said, well, there's a lot of different ways to look at that. And then he was like, well, most of the map is red. So Trump is going to win. Right. And I said, well, not every state, like each state has a number of votes they give and each state has a different number. And then he's like, well, why are they showing like, a, the counties on the state and so then i was mm. i was like 
walking him through like this is where the votes get collected and counted and then each county I love reports them up to the state and then as the states get their total then the number of votes from that state go but one of the interesting stories to come out there there are so many that beyond just the presidential election but in Maine, I think this is the first election maybe where they're doing what's called ranked choice voting, mm-hmm. which is really interesting. So basically, um, the analogy I can think of is like in the NBA when they're voting for the MVP award or those kinds of awards, each person that votes gets five votes and they basically get to pick their top five. Right. And so if whoever you pick as your first person gets five votes and then whoever you pick as your second gets four, etc. So they're doing the same kind of thing in in Maine. And so what that means is um, if you if you pick one of those third parties as your top choice, you still can give vote to the lower down the ticket or the, the other candidates that you want to support. And so um, there are some schools of thought that say that creates more parity and then you you can have potentially multiple people from the same party that are still on the ticket mm-hmm. and different things like that it's it'll be interesting to see how it plays out i know that there's a group that wants to get ranked choice voting um in the primaries particularly in washington and oregon mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah that's been a big push in the within the um washington um democratic um campaigns um but i i, I one, one thing about ranked choice is to keep building off of that because i think it's really interesting and something that i've advocated for as a way to try to maybe it doesn't maybe it doesn't change the outcome of elections in the United States. We're still, I think the binary, the Republican democratic idea is so ingrained, even though we're not a technically a two party system, Mm -hmm. but what is a way to naturally increase um, voter enthusiasm in participation Mm. without, without having to drum up fear every four years and tear the tapestry of our democracy apart and then have to patchwork it together with a bunch of random colors. The, um, it would be ranked choice because if you feel like, okay, well, maybe I really like this person, but I know because one of the biggest things about this two-party economy is that you're voting for the lesser of two evils, right? Right. Is that it? like, okay, well, I really like this Democratic candidate, but I, I, I feel like if I vote for him, like he has a lesser chance of winning over the moderate candidate. Right. So like maybe ranked choice following that five vote, you know, top five thing, you could vote for your candidate first and then the moderate candidate second and you in then and maybe doesn't end up changing the outcome but it at least gives you the feeling that your your voice is being more represented at the at the like at the state level or the national level um so i i like the idea of ranked choice voting i I would like to see it potentially more implemented um anyway that's Mm -hmm. my take on that hmm one other thing that i think is really cool it's one of those global themes is a recognize a recognition and acknowledgement that our president gets decided by processes that are put in place by each individual state. Mm-hmm. I think right now that's causing us a lot of frustration as we look at a couple of the states and go, let's have these totals. Let's let's get everything done. Yeah. Um, and it's something that probably doesn't always get as much scrutiny. But I saw a really good um a a good point. Somebody was complaining on Twitter or saying like, how come Florida can magically get their votes in so fast and we're still waiting all these other states. So, so here comes (laughs) Jeb Bush with at this point, read. Yeah. Yeah. Just read the information's out there. Yeah. Sorry to cut you off. No, but Jeb Bush came right at the person and said, Hey, it's because in 2000, it went really bad here. 
So we made a big investment in making sure we had a great system. Yeah. And it's a priority to our citizens. But but I think that's that's where it comes down to is that this is something that gets decided at the state level. We talked before about the importance of understanding and being involved in local politics. Oh, yeah. And the processes that are put in place in our local community here determine how Clark County handles presidential elections and reports their votes to the state of Washington, who then report those votes and, you know, show our voice in that presidential election conversation. So it's it's interesting to see that. And I think there are interesting stories as we start talking about how things are going and some of the legal challenges that have already been announced Mm -hmm. to the process. Um, some of that is really influenced by how states handle some of those different things. Mm-hmm. And the, the biggest theme as we sit here right now without clear answers and what is really influencing uh, the pins and needles that we're all on as those results come in is understanding the process by which different states counted um, absentee or uh, early votes. So some states like Florida started counting those prior to election day. And then as soon as the polls closed, they put those totals together and were able to report out really fast. Other states like Pennsylvania had to sit on all of those early ballots, a historic number of early ballots being returned until election day because their state government said that's what they had to do. Um, And that's not to be right or wrong in how that process is approached. It's just a matter of, we can't complain about Pennsylvania taking time when they're following the process that their state legislators agreed to. That's a um, fantastic point, CJ. <clears throat> I, I think that's something that we, I think as we probably talk and break down this election more as we get as we get further and further removed from it, and more of the numbers are are, uh, are come in, you know, more solidified, and we have a better understanding of how this election is going to work, you know, going to shape itself out because we're, I think we're still we're still a ways from understanding where this race is going. Um, and there's still a lot of votes to be counted as we're sitting here. But as we're sitting here, we're getting updates. So, I mean, he, by the time you yeah. guys listen into this, the shape of the race could be very different. Right. Um, because today there's going to be a lot of announcements coming out of Georgia. Georgia should be wrapping up its voting sometime today. Um, the uh, Nevada should be wrapping up its its uh, its votes today. And we should have a clear picture of Arizona by the end of the day. Um, so it's, it is tough, but I think we need, do need to remember that we have we're the united states for a reason we have 50 semi-sovereign states and the constitution delegates the and we talked about the listen to to the republic me and jeff put a lot of effort into talking about these very things that were that we are that that have come into play here and it's um you know civics is important understanding how all this works is important and each individual state as cj has pointed out runs its elections within its own boundaries to an extent and i mean that gets to the economy of how much federal over how much how much federal um standards are there and what kind of and how much autonomy does do states have on any given topic whether it's policing whether it's 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 uh, it's elections there's all sorts of things that are education at, at play here education i mean there is so much here and it's funny to me then that you see the people who have constantly championed for states' rights, right? Now want the federal government to come in with a strong arm and tell states how they can or can't administer their own elections, which I find to be just the worst of hypocrisy. I, I don't know, Jeff. What do you What do you think? Lots. Lots. Well, let me hear some of your lots. <laughs> do you, Do you want your federal tax dollars to uh, make sure that Pennsylvania and Nevada and Arizona count their no, presidential I don't ballots care correctly? What they do. <laughs> 
the hypocrisy, Jake, that you're talking about is single-handedly the most significant thing that pisses me off more than anything. Mm-hmm. On both sides. I don't care who you yeah. are. The, the, the video's out right now of them chanting, stop the vote, stop counting, and then keep counting. There's literally two videos split of yeah, them in different between, states. Yeah, between Michigan and uh, Nevada. Arizona. Arizona. Is it Arizona? Arizona. Yeah. Arizona. What are you talking about? Like, that's annoying. But one thing I was thinking about is, so you guys know, and some of our listeners might know, that uh, my wife works for local government. And she was on a, a call with her her department within the government. And her boss was saying something that I was thinking about, you know, that kind of reflects the election process right now is... We are still in the middle of a pandemic, regardless of how much everyone wants to think or forget that we are. And her boss was saying, you know, hey, things are going to take time. And if her department is saying that, which isn't the elections department, Mm -hmm. how do you think this election process is going to be? Yeah. Things are going to take time. Mm -hmm. You have to have safety precautions and measures for for those who are involved in counting and working Mm -hmm. together. A lot of counties are working from home. Or finding ways to limit time of being in the office. Yeah. So now, during an election process, you're kind of required to be together or in the same space. Mm-hmm. So that's something that I've been thinking about and considering is yeah. like, COVID is going to slow things down. Mm-hmm. And and I'm I'm being impatient just like everybody else. And I'm <laughs> Yeah, how many times did you say you were over it yesterday? Uh, too many times. <laughs> <laughs> just a lot. I don't know. I just think that there's so, like... Regardless of just like the the processes that are in play, I mean, you know, I saw, I saw somebody say maybe it's something you sent me, CJ, because you're always sending me something. But it's like something along the lines of like the fact that it's taking so long is a good thing. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. they're going through it, they're making sure. Regardless of the state's process, they're it, it, it's it's a process and it's it's counting votes. That's a good thing. It is. The fact that we're taking time to to really ensure that the democracy operates the way that we, um, one, hope it should, and two, it should, mm-hmm. um, is a good thing. Yeah. Here's a question I had for you guys. I want to get your opinion on it because it was asked of me yesterday. Okay. Is what's the problem if vote? Because some states have, like Pennsylvania and North Carolina, are allowing ballots to Mm -hmm. come in Mm -hmm. three and nine days respectively after the election. Places like Florida and Georgia had hard caps at as soon as the polls were closed, no matter where those the votes were not in, whether it's a postal service mistake or whatever, they're not counted. What are you doing? Sorry. The little (laughs) thing from the chair. I was uh, this. That's my fidget. So a little behind the scenes. uh, We've discovered this morning. Jeff brought in a little fidget toy. Because he saw Jake playing with a staple last week and was obsessed with <laughs> hey, it. I found this. I still have the staple. I think it's halfway Dude, right Dude, before here. you got here, I saw CJ. I was watching you play with that staple, and I was like, I want to play with that staple. <laughs> so apparently my fidget is the little screw covers on the sides of this chair. You popped one off. I popped one off, so I'm looking for it. But I feel like the three of us would have gone through a war together in the last like two yeah. weeks. Like We're all battle-hardened, like weary with a thousand-yard stare. Just like, itching and scratching and just eyes. Just waiting yeah. for the next shelling to come come through our foxholes. So I, I, I want to speak to, because I love what you're saying, Jake, about the different deadlines for how and mm-hmm. when ballots can be received. And I think what we was talk- your question? My question was, <laughs> is should, I mean, because should there be a federal standard on that? Oh, okay. Go ahead. On whether, ba- on whether ballots sh- yeah. should or shouldn't be accepted after the deadline. Because that's the argument that, that's the, that's the essential to Trump's argument yeah. in Pennsylvania. 
it's uh, that's one of the arguments so um yeah. and yeah you're right that's the the simplest way of describing it i so what i think is interesting is prior to this a couple weeks ago maybe it was last week when we talked but that's something the supreme court had spoken to really specifically mm-hmm. they had said pennsylvania and north carolina had the right to set these deadlines and have them be what they wanted because what the u.s constitution says about conducting elections is very non-specific and then the states within their constitutions are allowed to determine how they're going to run their elections. And as the Supreme Court looked at what the state constitution said and what the legislatures had decided to do, they didn't feel there was any reason to overturn or prevent them from doing that. Mm-hmm. So fundamentally, I don't know that I have a big issue either way with whether or not you should say they have to be in hand by election day what i do think is that it's this goes to another topic which is that it seems like in the last 48 hours there's this suddenly fierce interest in debate which gets rekindled every year on election day of abolishing the electoral college right because we have the popular vote you know we'll know the answer i'm not here to have that conversation on election day i'm not here to have a conversation about changing state laws for when ballots are received on or after election day. Let's talk about that a year or two down the road mm-hmm. because that's essentially like saying, you know, you're you're playing a, a baseball game and oh. then okay, we're playing a we're playing a basketball game. <laughs> <laughs> we're playing a basketball game and and suddenly we decide, you know, with 3 minutes left in the fourth quarter, the three-point line is now going to be a four-point line for the rest of the game. Right. Never been that way in the in the history of the NBA, but for this team, for this game, that's how we're going to do it. Right. And I want to be clear. That makes it sound like I'm uh, I'm saying that different states could have rules that maybe create favorable conditions one mm-hmm. way or the other. But my point is, you shouldn't make a change around that, or you can't do that in the midst of the election. Right. That's got to be something that's done because if you're going to say all the ballots have to be in by 7 PM mm-hmm. on election day or whatever deadline you put, there's a work back from there. You have to make sure the ballots are printed and delivered to people with enough sufficient lead time to right. make that a realistic thing to happen. Mm-hmm. What about uh, military members who are serving overseas? How are they getting their ballots with sufficient time for them to get back to the country and to their home state so that they can be counted in a reasonable amount of time? Yeah. yeah. So, like anecdotally, North Carolina um, is allowing. Um, no, sorry, Pennsylvania is allowing um, military ballots to arrive up until November 10th. Yeah. So oh, wow. in a, maybe in a potentially razor thin margin, those votes may end up being you know important. And you hope that they're important. Well, I mean, CJ are the, had a good point about the the military. Yeah. Oh, I was. I, I don't know if I want to say that out loud. On I'll here, say it I, out loud. <laughs> I'll say it. I, w- I almost texted to you guys the other night, but I was as we're watching the numbers really tighten up in Georgia and Pennsylvania. I was thinking, how wild would it be if absentee military ballots come in and they are the what I said to you guys was they turned the election for Biden. But right. I mean, it could literally go either way, but it right. would just be really interesting if you have one candidate who is saying, don't count any military ballots. Yeah, any ballots, ballots after election. <laughs> and I mean, you could easily say, well, obviously the military is an exception and for everyday citizens. Right. But I th- I think it's it really, I'm, I'm very okay with states' rights in this case. Yeah. And, each state knows their unique circumstances and 
um, the opportunities. I think it's interesting too. At last I had seen it. It's like, we're still waiting for Alaska. I mean, if yeah. you think about like yeah. how vast that state is geographically and the ability to get all the, the ballots in and reported during a pandemic. Oh, see that that's a good point. Cause I'm, I cannot, I was like, I can't, I don't understand why Alaska's not called yet. Like it's like a 30 point lead for Trump there, yeah. but they want, I think they want to give the appearance that, those votes that are still coming in from those really outlying regions still in a sense matter. Like instead of just calling yeah. it right away, yeah. that makes, that makes actually makes sense. Um, I was going to say, sorry, Jake. No, um, you're good. No, go a ahead. Lot, you know, in Washington, it's, ma- you know, we mail in vote, right? But interestingly, I, the, a lot of Washingtonians that I've spoke to said that they've actually, instead of mailing it, have driven their ballots to a box to drop it off. Mm-hmm. That's what I did this year. And yeah. I did too. Yeah. But why? Hmm? Why aren't pe- why are people more are choosing to drive it to a ballot box than mail it in? Uh, I I like the not you specifically. Oh. I'm just thinking like overall. generally, huh? Just overall. Yeah, just overall. The more people that I talk to, they're like, oh no, I didn't mail mine in. I drove it and dropped it off. So is it the social media post? Is that why? <laughs> not for me. No, but I know. I mean, I'm just joking. I'm being a troll. I know. I, I also <laughs> thought it was interesting when I went through the voters guide. Um, yeah. Like I always go to the box that's in battleground where I live. Right. You know, it's well known. It's close to home. It's like nearly as close as the post office. Right. So if I wanted to, you know, drop at the post office versus dropping at the ballot box. Mm-hmm. But what was interesting is when I looked in the voters guides, Clark County has 20 ballot drop locations. Yeah. So I was looking and like even in really rural parts of the of the county, you're not very far from one of those boxes. Right. And so it it just makes it really easy and convenient. Now, granted, everybody's personal mailbox is going to be easier and more convenient than the Dropbox. Sure. But I think I think in some ways, like I've never had that experience of going to the polling place and right. voting. And I think right. there's certainly things about that that are really like it would be a hassle if that's what you had to do every yeah. time. Um, but I think we still kind of like that ritual and that that's process what I was of. Thinking. of I'm not actually able to go into a polling booth, but I can go to that box and put my ballot right. in. Right, a little bit of ownership. Like here I am, and this is me submitting it. Mm-hmm. That's how I feel. Yeah, like that. I got like kind of like that swell of a little bit of pride, like right after like I was driving away from the ballot box, and I was like, for sure. I was like, you know, that's really cool. We're so like, weird. How? I mean, just <laughs> think about this historically, right? Yeah. We all have a, histor- a background in history, and just think about how rare that is because i was thinking about like kings right like i was thinking about what would it be like to live in 1500s england right mm-hmm. when they're there this doesn't exist like you have your data you could go your entire life living under one king and that's all you knew there was no there was never going to be any sort of change or talking about different policies if different parties got involved like your your life was the king and without choice without choice you had no agency in the system in which you you lived right and we take for such granted that we can vote on on people who are going to decide everything. I mean, look at the, the charter review seats and, and the Secretary of State in Washington. Yeah. And all of these different things that, are, are, that affect our day-to-day lives that we don't even think about that we actually have a choice over. And I was just thinking how um, just amazing it is and how rare it is in the, in the timeline that you put, if you were to put all of human history on a timeline, just a fraction of of that amount of time would be some would would be a time where people around the world have had this ability and we have that ability to affect that kind of change to peacefully 
overthrow the government every two to four years. Right. Like we throw out our government through on paper by putting pen to paper, we overthrow our government. That's amazing. That truly is just absolutely amazing. And when that's what I was like thinking about that as I was driving off, just just really kind of filled me with a sense of like sense of pride and, and, and thankfulness that we we live in a time when we have this much agency because that really wasn't the case for most of human like human existence. Right. So And to circle back, I mean to that initial conversation about voter turnout, like we have we have that agency and more than ever in any of our lifetimes, people care. It was interesting. Yeah. I was talking to my parents over the weekend and they were, they were talking about, um, the, uh, Nixon Ford election. I think was that 68. Is that right? Or, um, Nixon, it wouldn't have been Nixon or, Ford. Uh, oh, when Nixon, when Ford and Nixon were on the ballot together. Yeah. Okay. Am I, am I? I'm not. I don't remember the candidates. I was just. They were. They were trying to remember what election it was. If it was '68 or, I don't know if that's the right year. '68 would have been. Um, would have been his second term. Yeah. Okay. So they mentioned that for them this year has felt like that in terms of, and they were both very young at that time. Mm-hmm. My parents are are would have been like Hudson's age, nine or ten years old right. at that point. Um, and but they just talked about how it seemed like the election was a huge deal and everybody was really tuned into it. Yeah. I think it's always really important, but you know, the numbers this year tell us and show us people care in a different way and are deeply invested. And to your point, Jake, it's not just about the agency, but it's the, it's taking that investment and, and seeing that people are actually really caring They're Yeah. They're more concerned about it than, than maybe is always the case when I went and dropped off my ballot, which I, I feel like within two or three days of when I received it, I was returning it. Um, and I drove and dropped it off and it was like at lunchtime in the middle of the day. Cause I've been working from home, mm-hmm. but there was a car there when I pulled in and there was a car that pulled up behind me. Like there was already like a steady stream. Right. Um, when I dropped off our primary ballots, it was closer to like, I think day of, mm-hmm. and it took me like 20 minutes to drop off because there was a line at the at the box and in fact they had volunteers out there just picking them up because the box was full yeah. but um so they could preview them and decide if i could have my valid cast or not. <laughs> <laughs> totally, totally kidding um that's the other well, thing. what did they say when you handed them both one for cj and one for christopher yeah, yeah. you know i said that's my uh, uh you know twin yeah <laughs> exactly um that's been one of the other things that's cool as i've been just glued to way too much TV watching the coverage of the results coming in is I couldn't do it. No way. What I love though is (laughs) the the secretaries of state that have been on. Yeah, that's cool. That's cool. The local officials. Um, I forget which I think I was telling you guys. I think it was the I think it was the Michigan Secretary of State, but at the time when that count was getting kind of contentious and there were people starting to congregate around the the um, elections offices and stuff. Yeah, the yeah. offices like wanting them to stop counting. Um she did a really good job of of like coming on CNN mm-hmm. in front of the whole country yeah. and saying like here's the deal. The ballots that we are counting right now were in boxes that were locked when the polls closed. They're yeah. not new. They're not 
coming in now. They've been in. Right. And I think that's a really key point that we I brought up to you guys this morning, but and we mentioned it too. It's not that these states that we're waiting for are determining the election. The people have already determined the election. We are confirming or validating what choice has been made based on each of those individual ballots that's being counted. That's yeah. such a good way of putting it, too, because it really undermines the the Trump conspiracy theory out there that, you know, all these these ballots are um, just materializing out of nowhere. Yeah. It's like, no, like these ballots were already cast on Tuesday. We're just unveiling slowly but surely what has already occurred. It's not anything that's occurring currently. Yeah. So I that's when CJ pointed that out, I was like, it was one of those real like aha moments. And I was like, wow, like that just completely, it's something that you kind of know, but you don't yeah. really think about it until someone points it out. So I was like, I was yeah, like wow, it, that was actually a really good point. It kind of caught me too. One, one thing I did want to mention, we we're talking a lot about ballots and, and those deadlines and things. One of the key legal challenges that I've seen, which is happening in Pennsylvania, mm-hmm. um, I watched one person that was kind of defending that challenge on, I think it was CNN, but they were basically saying the, the ballots that were sent out for people to return by mail had prepaid postage. And so because of that, they don't get a date stamp by Mm -hmm. the post office. Mm -hmm. I was going to bring this up. And so the, the, the argument that's being made, I was going to say the conspiracy theory, but there's a legitimate argument to be made that it is possible that people in Pennsylvania could see how the count is going initially from the election. And they have until, I don't remember if it was three days in Pennsylvania. Yeah. So they have basically until tomorrow. So in the next day or two or yesterday and today, they could get people together who did not already vote. They could have them fill out ballots to help a candidate that's trailing that needs to catch up or a leading candidate to help protect a lead. And they could get those in the mail in a way that gets them to the office by the deadline, right. even though they wouldn't have been technically cast by election day and postmarked. So there's certainly a, uh, a nuance there and there's a loophole within how the state has set their election law. And that loophole could be exploited to determine who the president is. If that state is pivotal in how the how the majority of the electoral votes get split out it's a really long path you have to walk down and in my estimation grasping at straws but yeah it i can see how and why you would make that argument and i think that again goes back to those are great challenges or or problems with the current system to point out Changing them 48 hours after the election yeah. is not the right thing to do. Uh, no, you're right. And I think like just going, you could then flip that, right? And Trump has this whole thing about saying, well, all these votes should be, we should change the rules midway through the election or after the election to benefit me because all these things are wrong and it's corrupt. But then I could also, you could just, you could anecdotally nitpick things, right? In Florida, there was 300,000 ballots that didn't get, like, that didn't get stamped by the post office, didn't get their scan code on mm-hmm. from the post office. So they were, they should have gotten to the elections office in, in Miami-Dade by 7 p.m., but they didn't because the post office fucked up. Well, I could then point to Trump 
playing with playing games with the USPS, yeah. defunding them, not giving them all that as a as a possibility of why those ballots didn't come. Three hundred thousand votes in Miami Dade, a, a very blue county. Maybe maybe it does. Maybe it doesn't affect the the um, the overall. I haven't seen what the what this what the vote split is in Florida. Right. But three hundred thousand vo- votes is a lot. Consider this. Maybe it doesn't change the way that the that Florida votes in electoral college. But Repo- uh, Democrats lost two House seats in Miami Dade. Yeah, three hundred thousand votes in Miami Dade could have flipped those. Could have kept those blue. Yeah. And now you're going to look at uh, the, the Republicans have picked up seats in the House. Well, they picked up seats by about five seats. Two of those were in there. Were in an area where uh, ballots didn't get delivered by post office Ooh. incompetence. Mm-hmm. I mean, you you can you can you can blame. You can blame all you want, right? But it's it's like overall, like the averages of this kind of stuff ends up kind of evening out. And as and as uh, CJ said, you know, it's grasping at straws. Mm-hmm. But you said you had some questions. No, I already asked them. You already asked them. Yeah. Oh, okay. So where do you guys <laughs> want to go? For, do you guys want to talk about how wrong the polls were? Yeah, I. So do I, you want to talk about that? <laughs> uh, I mean, yeah, it's. I, I have some theories, but you guys want to. You guys want to go, and I'll just. I'm not poll watching, dude. I know you're not. So I just listen to you and him. <laughs> the, there's kind of two conversations I want to have. So I think the 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 pre-election polls and forecasts are really interesting, and then I think some of the exit polling data and trying to extrapolate like how how this election was so close kind of going back to that fundamental question that I think we probably all three have and have talked about a little bit in terms of, again, I think many people thought this was going to be a strong repudiation of the president and that's just not been the case. Right. Um, and so I've seen a couple interesting conversations going on about that in most of the exit polling. You'll see that like the number one issue for many people was the economy and almost without fail, if it's not the economy, it's COVID. Okay. And the assumption is the people that thought COVID is the most important thing voted for Biden, and that people who thought the economy was the most important thing voted for Trump. Would that make sense? I think that makes sense overall. But what I think is missing, and I've seen a couple people talking about this, is that potentially people that said COVID, their lens through which they're looking at COVID is the economy. And so what they say, it's, it's, it's almost like a cause and effect thing. Right. Mm-hmm. And so there, and I talked to you guys about this. I think all of us are to a place in this pandemic where we're tired. We, we want to do things that we're used to doing. We, yeah. we have a hard time with, I have to wear a mask all the time. I have to not be together. I've already seen like conversations going on about like how do you celebrate Thanksgiving? Should should families oh. be getting together? And then you've got, you know, other holidays and stuff. And so I think there are people who l- looked at that through the COVID lens and they say it's not just about like who's going to help manage the pandemic better and get us back, but like yeah. Whose whose narrative fits what where I think we are with this right now, and who is gonna give me the freedom to make my own choices about how I manage my safety yeah. and get back to as much of my normal life as I'm comfortable or want to get to. Um, but w- I think that's a totally separate conversation, though. I think where where you guys were going with polls is like the polls that were predicting what we thought the outcome would be and how the actual outcome is so vastly different. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that they, 
I think there, there obviously is, there's the way that we conduct polls is in this country, as Jared Kushner put, is outdated and archaic. It's, that seems to be, that seems to be an accurate uh, description of them. Where they're wrong and where they, uh, where they can maybe improve in the future is, you know, that's up for, that's clearly up for debate. I don't, I don't have a I don't have a particular answer, but what I but I what I will say is I do think that it lies with quantitative. It lies solely by re, by relying on quantitative data because when you are trying to and you can't, other than like the polls that are gauging a lot of polls how they do this is they'll ask questions, they'll ask a series of questions and then they gauge how the person asks answers that question on. Um, as like likely, least likely, that kind of, and then they, they assign a number to each one of those. And then over time that like, so when they get all of that data together and then they run it through the, whatever algorithm, whatever like data set that they have, they create this data set and then they plug in all these different variables and it gives them a split. What I think is now, I don't know if the shy Trump voter exists, but I do think that the way that in Trafalgar group, as much as I hate that bow tied fuck, he, <laughs> the, he's not wrong to point out like you, the questions being like the, the one of the most, he said the one of the most revealing questions that he found to get the true answer of how people felt about Trump was to ask the question, how are your friends voting? Who do they support? Okay. And he said because people are probably going to give you socially acceptable answers to a lot of different things uh-huh. which will skew those quantitative results if you're putting them just on like on a linear or like you're assigning them um uh, if you're assigning them a, a particular number it's called interval ratio yeah. and so but he's saying by asking people who in your social group how are they voting and if they give you like oh you know my 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 friends all vote trump that gives you a more accurate representation mm. of what they're doing and he said like putting that into your algorithm actually ends up giving you a more accurate representation of what trump's support is going to be now i also think that the polls greatly discounted the amount of work that the republican party had done in the over the summer of getting people registered to vote a lot of this a lot of the writing on the wall for the 2020 campaign was hidden in like in throwaway lines throughout a lot of different articles that i read one of the things that i read was like people were worried about voter turnout in Miami-Dade. They said that Biden, up until even within a few days left of the election, hadn't green-lighted um, veteran, veteran um, door knockers, the guys who were people who were like the ground pounders in Florida, hadn't green-lighted them to go start knocking on doors. They were basically sidelined for mm. the entire election process. Because I mean, obviously, it's for legit reasons, concerns over COVID. But the Republicans didn't. They were out there knocking on doors everywhere, yeah, and getting out the vote. So you had a so that was a real thing that I that I kept seeing polls and especially mm. the poll average sites like Five Thirty Eight and the Economist discounting was that the they're so disconnected about what the realities were on the ground, and uh, you couple that with with the limitations of quantitative methods. Not, I think that's this that's an issue and something that I think the three you I and Donna had talked about mm-hmm. is how quant discounts the qualitative so much mm-hmm. that it just becomes down to numbers but we're talking about human beings right and qualitative methods need to ha- i think pollsters need to start adding more quantitative methods 
to their to how they conduct these polls because qualitative you mean qual more qualitative yeah. sorry yeah more qualitative methods to how they're conducting their overall polls and the numbers they're coming up with because clearly they're missing millions yeah. of Trump voters yeah millions of them I mean look at sixty eight something million people voted for Trump they didn't have that they didn't have that no so I mean and the other thing I would say is like they were they missed and this is going back and looking at the margins of victory for even Obama in Wisconsin, he beat Romney by 0.3 points. Mm -hmm. The polls had uh, Biden up by six, seven, eight, sometimes double digit margins in the final weeks of the, before the election. That was never going to happen. Those states have never been that close. So I just, I think that, I think that uh, the, the national pollsters, are really, really out of touch on what's going on the ground within the states because mm-hmm. they're more, they've only now just started. And that's the other thing is that we're just, this is the first election that we're really seeing a lot of national pollsters doing state level polls instead of the national polls. So I don't think they're quite geared towards that yet. But if you look at the, um, the, the state level pollsters who are only conducting level, who only conduct their polls within their states, the Des Moines Register and Selzer, and then um, Data Orbital in Arizona pretty much have called their elections perfectly. Data Orbital had Biden plus one, and that looks like it might end up being the margin there. And Selzer came out with um, a, a plus, like out of nowhere, right? Everybody called it an outlier. Even 538 called it an outlier. But two days before the election, Selzer came out with a plus seven poll in Iowa. Everybody's like, we nobody else is getting those numbers. It was they were right on the fucking mark and it was a complete repo- it was a complete republican slaughter of democrats like yeah. it was a democratic bloodbath in Iowa not only did did trump carry it by 7 Joni ernst who was supposed to be in a battle mm-hmm. ended up winning by 5 plus points and Iowa took multiple the republicans took multiple house seats in in this in the state and then flipping back the state legislature which they had lost in 2018 so I, I, you put all of that together, and I think you also have. There was supposed to be this narrative that the suburbs were supposed to, all throughout the country, following that 2018 narrative, that even the suburbs of places like Oklahoma were supposed to go hard for or Democrats because they did in 2018. That reverted back to Republicans in a hard, hard way mm-hmm. in this election. And I wonder, and I want to get your guys' opinion on this, is to what extent did the the Trump's narrative of the protests and the rioters and Antifa are coming for your suburbs affect rural or affect red state suburbs because it doesn't seem to have affected as much in democratic states, but in red states, you saw the suburbs go red and redder across the, across that, across electoral map. So I was just, I'm wondering what, if you guys had any opinions on that specifically. That's a really good point. I'm just thinking about that. And I, I have seen some conversations talking about um, projecting, projecting if Biden was to win. And as it stands right now, it looks like the Republicans will likely maintain control of the Senate. Right. Um, and talking about how it could potentially put him in a difficult place because he's going to be stuck between uh, this very establishment Republican Senate that will work against him. And we'll also try and paint him as everything he's trying to do is trying to advance that really far left agenda. And because he's part of the Democratic Party, he's going to have to answer to those folks on the far left. And 
try and mm. bring them back toward the middle and say, we've got to find a way to move forward together and find compromise. And it's going to be difficult to find that either way. And the reason I bring that up is because I think that one of the things that happened really effectively is it's similar to the whole count the vote, stop the count, mm-hmm. parallel chants that are going on is in certain places and those red state suburbs would be a good example. Biden was painted as lumped in with as far left as you could possibly imagine, which, you know, there's proxies for that within government, but there's also the people out in the streets who are doing these scary things that you don't want to see in your neighborhood. And the the assumption or the belief that if you are supporting the democratic party you are tacitly supporting all of those things as well Mm -hmm. and then in other places biden was painted as this oh he's a career politician he's he's just part of this establishment system that is going to be you know not at all progressive enough for you to possibly ever want to vote for him and i think that particular track worked much better in 2016 against hillary clinton and i think this time that attack of Biden is going to destroy your suburbs and bring, you know, riots to your doorstep was, it seems to have been very effective in mm-hmm. those, in those. And that's one of the things that was interesting too, is just looking at the results overall. Um, and this is not anything earth shattering, but the, the big population centers tend to be blue and the more rural areas tend to be red. And I think in, especially in some of these battleground States, it was really interesting to listen to analysts talk about, what that means and what it looks like. And to continue to tell the story, I think as some of these states were unfolding and, and results were uncertain, um, they were bringing up the point that, yeah, this one county in the state might be blue and there's a lot of people there for Biden. But one of the things that Trump does really effectively is he goes out to those small counties where there's 6,000 votes up for grabs and he gets 4,000 of the 6,000 votes, or he gets 5,500 of the Mm -hmm. 6,000 votes. That was something you saw significantly in Florida. And, and it, that creates that aggregate. Yeah. That's where I was seeing is they were Mm -hmm. going through Florida and they're like, you know, in these big counties and Florida is an interesting place too, because he didn't win those big population centers as Biden, sorry, did not win those big population centers as handily as he was expected to, which is part of the reason why he looks like will not win that state overall. Um, and you, you talked about, you know, not going out door to door, not motivating that that population in the way that they are used to being motivated. And I, th- I think there are other demographic factors that are that are being talked about. I know there's been a lot of talk about the Latino vote in Florida and it early on had projected that to the whole country. And it seems like the data has kind of come back and said that Florida is a unique uh, outlier, which is often the case in almost every demographic study that you want to do. But yeah, I think to your original question, Jake, I think you can't deny that the pointing to Portland and p- holding that up to the rest of the country and saying, this is what Joe Biden wants to do to your neighborhood certainly had an effect on these suburbs in some of the red states where in 2018 they were willing to to consider looking a different direction. But they if they see portland and i should be really more specific the anti-government anti any kind of establishment protests that are going on in portland 
as a proxy for what a democratic agenda looks like for the whole country that certainly seems to have kept them um, more in line with Donald Trump. I mean, you, but you've seen that with, I mean, I, we, I think we naturally try to discount the, those kind of narratives as like being just like, really, does someone really believe that that's coming for their suburbs? But it, I think to further that point, with you brought up the Latino community, and I think there's a really you shared an article I thought was really good is that we need to stop looking at the Latino community in the United States as a monolith because mm-hmm. there are so many different. I mean, people coming from all over Latin and South America are so different culturally, and their experience with government in their own countries is going to really shape how they see democracy here. Cuba, for example, is going to be really, really Cubans are going to be very, very. Um, uh, sensitive to socialism, especially the ones that have left Cuba because they hate the Castro regime so much. So that social, so that socialism word that Trump just kept harping on, harping on, harping on. And you even had Marco Rubio going out to the Latino community, speaking in Spanish to them prior to the election, telling them that Biden is a socialist. So here you have a Cuban American telling other Cuban Americans that this guy is a socialist. So that seemed to play really, really well. And so I think that when you've got a population like an Oklahoma City suburb who generally probably don't leave Oklahoma all that much, you're going to be really susceptible to those kind of populist, populist messages. And I wonder, like, looking forward, how do you go about, like, how do you go about forming a government with two side, like one side who views the, I mean, one side views the Republicans as a bunch of like kind of, I wouldn't say this generally, but there's there's a sense that Republicans are just uneducated buffoons. And then there's the other side who think that Re- Republicans think that Democrats are literal criminals. Like they're, they're in bed with child molesters and they believe all of these awful things that they're probably going to, there's going to be a vast millions of Americans who think that this election was stolen or are going to continue to think this election was stolen. Does the Republican establishment in Washington, D.C., con- just conversationally speaking, Biden wins election, was the election how are the the republican senators do they keep playing to that narrative that it was stolen and biden's not a legitimate president or they try to or do they try to work together with the president like how do you how do we form a government after this that we're so torn apart and like they're to one side doesn't does not even see biden as a potentially legitimate as a legitimate candidate. Like this presidency will not be seen as legitimate to 40 to 50 million people in this country. But does the other side view Trump as a legitimate candidate? I think there has been, I think if he wins this time, it's probably going to be harder to convince most people that it's a legitimate presidency. If Trump went Trump wins because of all his, the shenanigans that he's been playing and all all the different lawsuits and stuff, it's going to be hard to convince most people who don't generally pay attention to nuance that this is like a legitimate one election for Trump. I will, I will think that it is a legitimate Um, one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But I I can't speak for most Americans because I think most Americans are emotionally driven, especially right now. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't know, but I, but I think for the last four years, empirically, I would say that most people have hated, most liberals, Democrats have hated Trump, mm-hmm. but have, other than the few who say, not my president, yeah, most of them have accepted the fact that, you know, yeah, he lost the, the he lost the, the popular, popular vote, but he did win the Electoral College, and as much as we hate the Electoral College, it's the system that it is, and mm-hmm. we, we, we accept that. Um, so, yeah, I, I do, I don't know, this is just... I'm just, I'm so happy and I'm so sad for 
so many different reasons. It's a lot of mixed emotions yeah. after this election. I, listening to you talk, I heard an interesting conversation this morning, too, about, I think it was maybe in, this, in line with that same conversation about if Biden were to be elected, what kind of uh, challenges he might face. One of the things that they were mentioning, talking about the American people as a whole and saying, you know, it's almost like we need, in order to be brought together, we need like a common cause or they, they were bringing the point up that the country pulls together in times of war and not that anyone right, wants right. like a major yeah. war that we go to. But, you know, a lot of people said, well, couldn't coronavirus have been that thing? That's and what it's I like, was thinking. For a period, it seems like it was, but yeah. then it, it, the way that we come together to fight coronavirus is so messy. I think about like in my lifetime, <laughs> Sorry, I was just thinking the way that we kind of the way that we come together to fight coronavirus is by s collectively separating ourselves from one another. Well, yeah, and I think just in terms of what it does for the economy versus yeah. like in a, in wartime, like there are I cannot imagine what it was like during nope. World War One or World nope. War Two, but our nation came together, and at the same time, like if you think about what that did for industry, like oh yeah. All, that's that's when women entered the workforce right. because all our men were overseas defending mm -hmm. the country and we needed women to to keep the war effort going at home and so that's so different than you know i think when probably in april sometime i took a picture of our whole family sitting on the couch and i like oh yeah, tongue yeah, yeah. Cheap, posted on facebook with a caption that said united we sit and it was like that was our war effort for covid and right it just didn't sit well in it. And from an, again, I go back to like how COVID and the economy asking those and having those be two separate answers on an exit poll um, might be telling the same story two different ways. But where I was going, just yeah, thinking sorry. of like, yeah, having that one central struggle that could bring us right. all together. And um, I have been encouraged by what I have seen from a lot of Republicans even as up to and including Mitch McConnell in terms of how he has responded to some of the challenges that have been made to the process of the ballots mm -hmm. being counted. And he's essentially said, we need to make sure that that happens. And that if someone has an issue with that, they're totally within their legal right to mount a legal challenge. But he did not in any way weigh in saying that he thought that was a good idea right. or advisable. And he seemed to be, deferring to the will of the people which is which is encouraging mm -hmm. but yeah we're our country as citizens we're clearly divided and as a government we're going to continue to be divided because of that i think the the people that were elected um on the republican side feel like they were were elected to serve and support the constituents that put them in office yeah. and and those interests one thing i was just thinking about too while we were talking i'm using up all the oxygen, but that's fine. Circling back to like presenting Portland to the country and saying, this is what the world looks there. What our whole country looks like if Joe Biden is president. Yeah. So let's, let's flip the script. Let's say Donald Trump gets reelected. The votes all get counted and he's gets the majority of the electoral votes and mm -hmm. is president. What is he going to do to fix Portland? Mm -hmm. And Let's let's say it's either candidate. What is the president of the United States mm -hmm. responsibility in addressing 
civil unrest and violence that's happening in one specific city. Because I think there that's a fundamental piece of this populist message as well. And thinking about what we're seeing today with there are parts of our government that happen at the state level and at the local level. Mm-hmm. And so are we informing our choices of who... Like, if that's the reason that you're in an Oklahoma City suburb and you voted for Donald Trump, um, how are you going to hold him accountable and how is he going to demonstrate that he's delivering on his promise? Is it just going to be if your Oklahoma City suburb doesn't look like downtown Portland in four years, he's done a great job? Yeah. Yeah. Be- I mean, that's pretty much it. I mean, that's the that's the metric in which they've judged him. And is there anything that he's going to do or that Joe Biden is going to do that would actually prevent or cause that to happen? Um, crap. I had a thought on that. Oh, uh, I think the solution is freaking genuine leadership. Jake and I with international politics, we talk about establishing and building relationships, communication, open communication with one another that prevents conflict. Mm -hmm. When in this entire (laughs) last year has Donald Trump reached out to leaders or members of black lives matter and said, What's going on? Like, what do you guys need? Mm-hmm. Like, w- tell me how you feel. Let me help. Help me understand. Yeah. Not one effing time. No. Instead, he's otherized them and said that they're the enemy and they're extremists and they're they're the problem. Mm-hmm. The difference I see between Joe and Donald is that approach. Mm-hmm. The approach of like, okay, like like. Even in the messaging we talked about last week, like Biden's very much constructed this this narrative of like, regardless, I will represent all people. Let's come together as one. And with that comes the idea or the hope that he's going to, for Biden representing this left or extreme left or whatever, going to bring police together with members of Black Lives Matter and say, hey, let's have a conversation. Mm-hmm. Let's find a way to, uh, to, to come up with a solution and work together with state governments and say, hey, what do you guys got going on here? Is that maybe it's not him. Maybe it's Kamala, right? Mm-hmm. Regardless, this administration has already kind of laid out a, a narrative of like, we are in this together. Let's work together instead of these are the bad guys. I am the good guy. And that's just how it is. Mm-hmm. That's my thought on that. That's a, I, I think that's a great point. I think you can always tie. Um, I think it's always a really good um, point of comparison, comparing international relations where there isn't the structure of government and you have to rely on relationships mm-hmm. or f- raw force. Right. And raw force costs a lot of money and costs a lot of lives. Whereas in the um, and you do then you translate that to uh, to the domestic sphere. And I mean, yeah, I mean, gosh, I just. I'm, I'm, I just, I don't know where you start with communication yeah. at this point. Yeah. You brought up a great point right there when talking about like at the international level, there is no governing body, right? Mm-hmm. So you rely on establishing those relationships, but as the government mm-hmm. over a state, there is a governing body. And so the way I'm thinking about it is like this administration knows that we are 
the power. Mm-hmm. So we don't need those relationships. It's CEO Donald Trump. Yeah. What I say goes, and that's it. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you get a president who gets into office and says, look, I understand that I have power, but that power stems from the people. So I need to establish those relationships. Mm-hmm. Comparing it to the international relations sphere is great because you're saying there's no governing body but looking domestically there is a governing body but how does that governing body still establish relationships and open communication Mm -hmm. i mean that's the the essence of democracy and which i think when biden said democracy is on the ballot i don't think he's wrong yeah and there are a lot of international um like focused or uh media that i that i consume and a lot of people are saying like if Trump wins re-election, the United States will look closer to an illiberal democracy mm-hmm. than, um, which was something I was going to say, like when, if Trump ends up winning re-election, you're going to hear me use the word illiberal a lot. It doesn't mean authoritative necessarily. It doesn't necessarily mean that it's a dict- we're in a dictatorship, but illiberalism means that you have an expanded preeminent executive branch mm-hmm. where, like you said, like using the CEO business style model to run your quote unquote democracy is that really truly classically liberal? It's more illiberal than it is. I mean, it's not truly liberal. It's not truly, it's, it lives in that gray area. Liberal is a bad word though. <laughs> it is. It, it, it has in the American context. Yes. Yeah. It is such a loaded, it's such a loaded. Um, it was funny. I was telling Kylie this mm-hmm. when we were driving to the beach and I was like, it's funny because even academics are starting to pick up on the fact that in the American context, the word liberal is so loaded mm-hmm. that they're changing in, in international relations. You have three different major schools of thought. You have yeah. realism, liberalism, and constructivism. When I was first starting in my path on international relations at Washington state, a lot of like, it was always used. We always used the word liberal. By the time I got to American, like about four years later, mm-hmm. they were all the word, all the terms of using liberal was changed to institutionalist. Which still wow. works, but it's not. But that that word change, that definite, like keeping the same definition, yeah. right? But changing that word because I think that was an acknowledgement that that term liberal is going to be really, really hard to get the populace in the United States to accept a li- like right a liberal <laughs> style international yeah. relations. Which, if you were to use liberalism in its core context within the broader study of international relations, liberalism has been in a foreign policy ideology that Republicans and Democrats have employed since the end of World War II. Right. So it's just, I mean, but it's, that was just anecdotally something that had came up that I thought was interesting just to kind of build off your point. Mm-hmm. I, that's really interesting too, because if even in that context, if you take, the term liberalism and you substitute institutionalism that implies like working with this established system of institutions, checks and balances. I keep thinking about as we go through these days and I had kind of one of the projections I had made to you guys prior to Tuesday even was I, I said, I, I think Biden might win, but maybe Trump gets more than 200 electoral votes and it gets messy. And I said, ultimately, the Supreme Court saves democracy. And I think that's a great example of institutions and checks and balances yeah. keeping the process from being totally controlled in one way. And so in some ways, if you have a rejection of liberalism because of how it's loaded for, for our 
nation. Mm-hmm. But even if you had a rejection of liberalism and you'd said, well, the institutional things are, are liberalism, mm-hmm. that also potentially empowers an executive to seize tremendous amounts of power and mm-hmm. to... And and that could be on either side. I think we've talked about previously that you know the expanded powers of the executive branch haven't just happened in the last four years. That's been a slow, steady march for a while, and we still have processes in place. We each still exercised our ability to influence that process earlier this week, and we have other branches of government and other institutions that help provide stability and rein in that power. And it's just so important at the end of the day. I had a quick question for you guys just on how you guys spent your... Because I know you were at work for most of the early returns, which would have been... I could not have done it. I don't know how you did it. Because if I was at work having to watch those early returns, oh my goodness, I would have been a mess. Yeah. Um, Thankfully, I was at the beach. But but where did you guys like... (laughs) I could tell by your like <laughs> the, like kind of the stuff you were saying. You were watching CNN most of the night. Yeah. Okay. I was, I was yeah. working from home, and I I just f- found like what I could stream on my phone mm-hmm. really easily, and yeah. CNN was the top of the list. I also um, Dude, how annoying was Peter King though. Yeah, and that dynamic between him and Wolf Blitzer was super annoying. Peter King would say something, and then Wolf Blitzer would be like. Well, what are you like? How, what's the path to victory in Florida for Biden? And literally, Peter King had just literally said it. Said <laughs> like, and it was like, oh. it's you know, getting running up the score in Miami Dade. Well, what? How does how does uh, how does Biden win in Florida? And it's like, Wolf, shut the fuck up. <laughs> so uh, I will say that like, what's interesting about were you watching te- television? Yeah. And, okay. Mm-hmm. So and you were also, um, and Jen was also at home. So I'm at work. And I'm just watching the early returns and interpreting the, everything by myself, mm-hmm. going, "Oh God, it's over, it's done." I don't to, care. Having to deal with me, like, <laughs> like flipping out. Well, and then my constant uh, provoking, trying to get you to to tell me mm-hmm. who you thought would win, and you won't do it. <laughs> <laughs> um, which is, I'm just doing that on purpose. But um, what's interesting is like, so I've been watching uh, ABC's map and what i appreciate about abc's map versus like abc has a good map. associated press is abc still has those kind of those states grayed out mm-hmm. they're not they're not red and they're not blue they're still gray so that tells me visually like it hasn't been decided yet whereas like you know the associated press and google like they have like nevada pink like or pink or yeah. light blue and it's like to me i'm like Wait, but is that set? Like, mm-hmm. we've already seen, like, even with uh, Virginia, it was light pink, and yeah, then it turns blue. Virginia, yeah. was, Virginia was a lot, because they had Virginia, CNN had Virginia solid red until it flipped. Yeah. And I'm, I'm just looking at that, just, it was driving my anxiety, yes. like, crazy. That's my point. Yeah. It's like, I'm looking at a map where it's red, pink and then red, I'm like, it's done, dude. And then it turns blue, and I'm like... Well, what the hell, dude? And I, I got caught with 2016 a lot there because Virginia was, I told you guys, like Virginia was the state that I was watching. And yeah. when it was when it wasn't mm-hmm. close or when it wasn't a blowout early, I was like, this is going to be a close election. Trump's probably going to win. Yeah. And then the fact that it repeated itself, but I didn't take into account that mail-in ballots are going to be a lot different. Yeah. The, ur- the urban vote didn't get counted until late. And then that obviously like changed it in mm-hmm. a hurry mm-hmm. once once the um the upper north started started getting its vote in anyway anyway so abc is gray and i appreciate that because it's not it's not telling me or tricking me into thinking like this is going to go this way or not going to go this way um 
but so being at work sucked. <laughs> but I had you guys, you know, and then that's one thing. So you, CJ, and you, Jake, and then Jen, you guys are, the thing about watching the TV, whether it's CNN, ABC, MSNBC, Fox, you're having people kind of explain like this, you know, talking you down like a little mm-hmm. bit like this isn't set yet. Like this is what, what's it looking at? We're still waiting. They're still, they're explaining the process as it's happening. And you, all three of you are watching that, getting that like analysis while including your own research while I'm just sitting there at work. Like people are just like, Hey, what do you want me to do? And I'm like, shut the hell up. Get away from me. <laughs> <laughs> it's like me trying to watch a, uh, a jets game while I'm at work. Yeah. And I can't, I, Anybody asks me a thing, yeah, I'm just like, dude, what the fuck are you talking to me about? Yeah, like, I don't re- care. Yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> just just a real quick insert into that. Yeah. You mentioned the Jets. So one of the conversations we had as the night kicked off and as it became clear that this was going to be really close mm-hmm. and not at all a one-sided re- result, no matter what. Um, and as we've had different states, I think about like the again circling back to how states handle the earlier mail ballots versus the in-person yeah, and not having clarity around that to begin with. And so states opening one way, like by and large, almost every state that's been the case states open in one color and then they're either getting stronger that way or they're marching back based on how in-person versus uh, mail and, and early returns are counted. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so I, I made the comment that, you know, we're all conditioned for this in a way by being Blazer fans. Because yeah. <laughs> because it's like, I said at one point, it's like, we're in the third quarter right now. Because yeah. this last season, particularly for the Blazers, they would play really well. And then they would just throw up all over their shoes in the third quarter and let teams back into games. Yeah. Or a team would build a lead and then they would have to chip back. But um, that's certainly what it has felt like. And it's it'll be interesting to see how and if uh, these alternate voting methods with early and vote by mail methods are continued down the road and how that may change. Like, will more states look at Mm. what happened this year and say, we need to count those early Early, returns as quick as we possibly can. I imagine so. Getting that quick result that's super accurate at the same time is important, and we don't want to be the ones everybody's waiting on in Well, especially if you have a candidate who is kind of – just building this narrative of corruption and 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 conspiracy based on how long it's taking you know mm-hmm. it, you don't want to be the state that looked at that's looked at and pointed to going they're cheating there yeah that's corrupt there yeah you know one thing i wanted to say real quickly is um so you too and the listeners know very much my path to parenthood and just how it just hasn't happened. So that's one thing I think about throughout this whole thing. CJ, you being a parent, I'm like, I, I, you know, I kind of think about one day when I'm going to be a parent and how important this whole process and vote is Mm -hmm. like, it changes the way you think about it. So being a parent, I'm just like, dude. So I'm having a conversation with Alex, and we all know Alex is the future president of the United States she of America. Is. I'd vote for her right now. Yeah, um, and she's like, you know, I'm talking. I, you know, I was giving her giving her a hard time. I go, so who'd you vote for? And she's like, yeah, I can't vote. And I was like, don't worry, kid. Like, I got you. Like, I'll vote for you. And you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But I mean that. Yeah. I mean, and she knows I mean that. And I'm just her uncle. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? So like. I just I'm just thinking about parenthood and like that's another element that like I never considered even on this four year journey of like five year journey of trying to be a parent 
one day when I am a parent, that's that is going to matter differently mm-hmm. than um and maybe that's you know maybe that's a reflection of like poll taking like there's that's a human element that people don't consider yeah. um and it goes back to our conversation of why people vote the mm-hmm. way they do why am i spending two effing days researching candidates and 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 measures that are on the ballot mm-hmm. you know what i mean yeah. i do that now but does that shift you know during parenthood or you know what i mean yeah. i'm just thinking like just there's so much at play here that people are, and now I'm doing the uh, in that persuasion class. One of my lessons is on fear and selling fear mm. and how effective that is, and that's disgusting to me. But you yeah. see it all the time. Yeah, you see it all the time. It's in the ads of mo- like it's the biggest motivation. It is. Like, we tools. just need to start. F- this is a fear podcast now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, before we go, do you want to just uh, just briefly go through our local? Well, like we always tr- we always talk about. Yeah, like who'd you vote for? Yeah, we talk about who'd that you vote for. Local. I'm not ta- I'm not telling who I voted. Yeah, I for. know who you voted for. <laughs> <laughs> I voted for. I I had a very I had a decent mix of Democrats and Republicans on my ballot. Did you? Yeah. Interesting. I don't even remember. I voted for so one of the races that I was really 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 invested in was uh-huh. our state secretary. Uh, our Washington yeah. State Secretary, yeah. Yeah, Secretary yeah. of State, mm-hmm. because she ultimately is the one that controls our elections, yes. right? And uh, I really dug deep into what were the what were the candidates saying about each other, and the only real platform that I could get from her from Kim Wyman's challenger was that she was upset that um, Kim Wyman didn't come out and specifically say. Per specifically denounce Trump's attacks on mail-in voting. Mm-hmm. And Wyman was like, me as Secretary of State, as the overseer of this election, my job isn't to come out and make statements like that, dude, that it could be seen as partisan. Mm-hmm. My job is to make sure that the the legitimacy of and the efficient, efficiency of Washington State's elections are carried out to its fullest. And I was like, okay. That was ultimately ended up being my deciding vote. I was right. like, I really liked how she answered that question. And for me, that shows that she's, yes, she's a Republican, but she's bipartisan. And she over, I mean, she won re-election in a, Demo- yeah. in a, in a specific, in a very democratic state, which really, um, I think, speaks to her level of professionalness. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so. I think that's so important, too. It was interesting as we were voting, um, my wife was asking me, how come like on some of the down ballot things, how come there's not a party listed for some of these, like the charter review commission or things like mm-hmm. that. And so I was trying to explain to her how mansplain. How, yeah. <laughs> well, um, then I said, well, let me refer you to this article that I found online that says, uh, as a Christian husband, it's my job to make sure you vote exactly the way I do on everything. <laughs> oh my God. That's awesome. Uh, but I love what you just said about, there are there are certain parts of our government that are that are partisan in nature, and there are other parts that yes. are bureaucratic in nature, or are right. are you know support those different things. And you know, regardless of what that role is, once you're elected, that's one thing I I have appreciated from the rhetoric that Joe Biden has been sharing in the last week or so. Mm-hmm. But the idea of being a servant to all your constituents, yeah. Yeah. not just those that that voted for you 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 present ideas and invite the constituents to buy into your ideas but ultimately it's your job to to serve and support all of them well and that's one thing i i think you know going through the ballot that i kept considering is like what is this job what is this role mm-hmm. and what are they saying about their job and their role within that that 
job, mm-hmm. I guess, you know, job roll, job yeah. roll, job roll. I, I'll be honest, like going through the the voter's guide, particularly as you get down the ballot a little bit. Right. It's it's disappointing at times to me. Like what I will often do is a similar process to what Jake was describing. But I I will unless I've heard something about an incumbent already and like I have a predisposition mm. to say this incumbent's doing a bad job and we need to replace them. I tend to give them the benefit of the doubt and I say, what is the challenger saying? What alternative are they providing? Like, right, right. And it often boils down to like one single nitpick that they have with yes. the incumbent. And and so then I'm like, well, are you so focused on this that you're mm. not taking in the totality good of, point. of what the job is? Or, you know, there and there are times or cases where those folks will convince me. But I'm, I think I'm in some ways sensitive to that because I mentioned previously, but I wrote a, right. <laughs> a voter's guide statement for a candidate. Right. And um, so now I'm, I'm very thoughtful about like... I kept thinking about that too when I was reading it. Oh, I'm sure. First person and th- uh, <laughs> third person or oh. whatever. I was like, wait, what? Well, that was a point that Kylie pointed out to me, like and how she and she followed almost like a lot of the, the incumbent favoring style of voting that you just described. Mm-hmm. And she did the same thing. She was like, there was, you know, I this is not the her point was like, this is not the time in our in America to be just throwing in a bunch of people who don't know what the job is or yeah. who, who don't know what they're doing. If the incumbent seems competent. Like she gave that as a, she weighted that pretty high. For sure. That's and, one thing I was thinking yeah. about is like all, there was quite a few newbies in different positions, like saying I've never served, but you know, I found myself leaning towards or, or whether the incumbent or not looking at experience and ver- and weighing experience mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. and whether they were never an elected official, but weighing that experience versus the elected official. Yeah. I like that they gave a really good, the, the voters pamphlet pamphlet of like, the charter review positions, right, gave a really, really good description of what their um, their past volunteer work had been, yes. what their past, because a lot of that tells a story. And that yes, they have never, does. and if they had never been an elected official, like what kind of executive or what kind of mm-hmm. um, what kind of role do you have? And I really weighed education pretty heavily for yeah, those as too. well. I don't know if that's elitist, but yeah, it's like it if is. I was like. Um, <laughs> your education is Clark college and you're going against a guy who has their MBA from UW. I'm like that for me skewed it a little yeah. bit. It wasn't ultimately my major decision. Like it wasn't like the main, the main for reason sure. why, but I definitely gave consider me it. consider it. Well, even thinking like, uh, uh, simply, uh, my bachelor's degree is in political science versus my, uh, bachelor's degree is, uh, in biology mm-hmm. and you're running for, you know what I mean? Comparing those two. Yeah. Even if they are similar, kind of similar in what they want to do, I look at the two and I'm like, biology, bro. (laughs) You know what I mean? People do that to us with history. I know they do. (laughs) Sorry, dude, but biology? (laughs) Yeah. Well, there was one that was like some sort of thing with that had to do with administering of public lands. Yeah. And yeah. that one I really weighed. There was a couple of people who had environmental um, mm-hmm. backgrounds and th- that really weighted heavy for yeah. me yeah. in my decision there. So we all know how I feel about the environment. Man, that's that. Change. I mean, well, the what was lost in all the Election Day coverage is the United States officially withdrew mm-hmm. yesterday from the Climate Paris Agreement. Yeah. Uh, Biden has said that he will put us back in that, which that was I mean, God, I that's one of the major reasons why I hope Biden can pull out this victory Yeah, um, is that we need to re-enter that agreement sooner rather than later, whether, I mean, both for America's soft power ability yeah. 
um, trying to repair America's role abroad, but also the environment. Like we're all gone. I mean, t- talking about the longevity, right? Like I'm not a parent either, mm-hmm. but thinking about, do I really want to bring kids into a world that is going to get less and less and less safe to live in because yeah. of the environmental hazards? Yeah. Like that's, a, that's a, that is a, I don't know. That's something that weighs on my mind. I think it's something that weighs on a lot of younger generations. Minds. Oh yeah. The continued so. push for exploiting lands and mm-hmm. you know, um, yeah. So. Great. Well, uh-, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so next week, I was going to talk to you about this and we can talk mm-hmm. further, but next week I will be out of town on Thursday. Yep. So we might not record, but I don't know if you're available, CJ, but is that a sticker? It is. Yeah. <laughs> I like that. Republicans, um, Republicans for Biden on your phone. That's cool. Phone, yeah. Um, trust me, dude, I already got, uh, I've been looking for it. I'm not going to buy Biden stuff now, but if he wins, dude, I got stuff in my Amazon give really? part ready to go, dude. <laughs> nice. Um, but so maybe I don't know if Wednesday is a day that you guys could record, I could but record I think it would be cool to after things are kind of finalized to kind of either have the most depressing podcast ever <laughs> or the most celebratory yeah. um, before. And then we can put that up on Wednesday before I leave or Thursday. Um, I can schedule it to be on Thursday while I'm yeah. out of town. So, so. recording Wednesday. Maybe okay. if you guys are down. Yeah, I'm, def- I'm okay. definitely down. Um, all right. Well. Godspeed, America. Godspeed, America. God bless America. <laughs> Hang love, in there, everybody. I love that you text that. Love, uh, love you guys. <laughs> thank you guys all, right. all for listening. Yeah, thank you. Bye. See ya. Bye. Thank you.